All right, good evening, everybody. So I know we're just ending uh, the meeting over in the fellowship hall on the discipleship informational meeting. So we're going to have some more people trickling in. So they're not purposely being rude. It's just the nature of the beast, just so everybody knows. So welcome to Wednesday night. If uh, this is your first time joining us, so uh, we have this Bible study for several reasons. Um, One is just to dive further deeper into various topics and different things. Uh, to further equip uh, disciples to be better disciples and disciplers to be better disciplers. But also Wednesday night is a format that would be great to, uh, as a form of outreach. So um, there's a lot of folks that may not even have Wednesday night church that you could be thinking of, hey, I could invite them to church on a Wednesday night. Or you know, they typically go somewhere else on a Sunday morning, or maybe they just don't go to church at all. And a Wednesday night is a great introduction to coming to church and hearing the Bible This is a great opportunity, so make sure that you take advantage of those opportunities and keep your eyes open wherever you go about those sorts of things. And the topic that we're going to cover tonight is the beginning of our series. It is the will of God for your life. And our headline verse that we're going to be looking at at the header of every page is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I love these verses. They have been so critical to me in my life. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. This verse is very easy to understand and very difficult to live out. But if we are willing to take the time to really put uh, these things into practice, God will prove himself faithful. He does. And so the will of God is so, so important. And so let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll get into our introduction for tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for being who you are and for loving us and giving us direction and guidance in our life. Your key really is is if we're willing to listen and to seek it out and to find it. But you tell us that if if we seek for it, if we search for it, as for hid treasures, that you will give us that wisdom and that you will guide and direct our paths. It requires us to forsake our own thoughts and our own ways And that can be very, very difficult because we just don't want to do that. And we're very stubborn people. And um, so God, I just pray that as we go through this series, that you would expose the things in our life that that you need to expose. Things that are areas of our life that we're not honoring you the way that we ought to. Things that we're not being as submissive as we ought to. uh, Because we were made for your honor and for your glory and not our own. And again, that is something very difficult for us to understand living in the day and age in which we live. We are constantly told from every single direction that, uh, that we should live the life that we want to live, and we have every right to live that way, uh, but there is no peace in that path. And so God, help us just to see these things, have a clear understanding, and just give us what we need tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you looked ahead on your study sheet, you're like, oh my word, there's tons of scripture. I don't know how in the world we're going to get done with that. Well, we've done it before. We'll do it again. <laughs> but there is a lot on this study sheet. And really the purpose and intent is that we're not going to be able to look at every verse. And if this is something that you need to start digging into and really start to just hammering in in your own life, there is more than enough resources on these two pages to get you going for this week Uh, for you to meditate on, for you to think through. So I'm going to be hitting some things, and I'm going to be talking about some things, but I wanted to give you more information, because this is such an important topic. This is so critical. If we get this thing down, then you're going to be able to honor God with your life. 
And in case you missed that, that's really important. Like, do you want to honor God with your life? Do you want to come to the end of your life with your life actually meaning something for the Lord? If you do, then you need to take heed to this study, and I do too. Going through these details, even for tonight, was, was just very good for my heart, and I've been looking forward to going through all these things. So, let's kick it off with the introduction paragraph. Among all the pursuits in life, one's true purpose ranks above them all. There is something deeply ingrained in each of us to live a profitable, good, and fulfilling life. This is why many people spend massive amounts of their time figuring out who they are and where they fit in this world. Some appear to achieve things of great value from the world's perspective. Technological breakthroughs, medical advancements, humanitarian improvements, etc. You can make a massive list. But many feel they fall desperately short, even in these achievements. What most fail to realize is that finding and fulfilling the will of God is the absolute most important thing to be discovered in this life. And it cannot be found in this world, in the ways of this world, inside of us, or in something somewhere out in the vastness of space. It can only be found in the Lord. As we begin this study, it's important to know and consider that there is a difference between the will of God for your life and the plan of God for your life. The will of God is the broad, overarching spiritual purpose for every person. The plan of God is specific and unique to each individual person. Both go hand in hand with one another. The specific, unique plan God has for your life unfolds as you faithfully walk in the will of God. And there's a lot of people that have a, just a massive misunderstanding about this. So I wanted to make sure to put that in there to start things off. And I, and I really feel like the best place to start off is really with this first question. This first question of, let's see, you might need to focus on the, uh, hey Matt, on the slideshow. You might need to actually click on that slide for me to have, maybe. Did I do that or you? That was me. Okay, all right, good. I want to make sure who's in control here. All right, <laughs> okay. I mean, God's in control, but okay, <laughs> moving on. All right. But we need to start off with this very first question. Why should you seek the will of God for your life? I've put bits and pieces of this in the paragraphs, but let's get to the heart of the issue first. Why should you seek the will of God for your life? There are so many people that can be opposed to this, like, why in the world should I even think about this? Why should I even spend my time considering this? Well, this is very, very important. And there's four really big keys that should answer this question. So why should you seek the will of God for your life? Well, first of all, because God is the creator. God is the creator. There's many people that don't even believe this nowadays. But if this is true, and the Bible says it is, this has massive implications. Because God is the creator. In Genesis 2, you should be there already. Take a look at verse 7 and 8. Genesis 2, verse 7 and 8. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God, when he creates something, let me back up a second. God can do anything. God is the Almighty. He's the infinite. He's the, he's the one that, that no one can look at him and say, what are you doing? He is the creator God. He can do whatever he wants. And when God chose to make man, this was massively important. Because God doesn't do anything without a purpose. Why? If God did something and there was no purpose, then he's no longer God. Because it's not, it's not anything that's true and of substance. And, 
And, and the Bible says that all of his ways are holy. All of his ways are perfect. And so when he created man, he created him on purpose for a purpose. And we start to see what that actually is. In verse 8, he, he has this garden, and then he puts the man in the garden. And then you go over to verse uh, 15 of chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So not only did God have to, when he created something, but he gave him something to do. He gave him a purpose. But think about it in these terms, because most people read these verses and they don't think about the details. God would have had to teach Adam how to dress and to keep the garden. Have you ever thought about that? And so he would have had to learn, now this is what you do with this plant. This is what you do with this animal. This is what you do with this fruit. This is what you do over here. So everything that God created, even in the garden, has a specific purpose. And then he creates man, and then he's spending quality time in a relationship with him, teaching him and guiding him into his purpose. And then now you have Adam, who has this responsibility, and now he has the ability and the knowledge to carry out his purpose. So God just even giving this in the first couple chapters of Genesis tells us a lot about God's heart, his intent, who he is, what he wants to do, and when it comes to us as human beings. So everything that God does has a, has a purpose, and that's so, so important. And these verses really reveal that, that he created man to be a worker. And it's not just to do whatever he wants to do, it's what God wants him to do. And it's not how he thinks it should be done, it's how God wants it to be done. And that's the pattern for the rest of our lives. And yet we live in a world that doesn't even want to believe in God, and doesn't even want to hear what he has to say about his plans and purposes, his overarching will, and how to do it. Who are you to tell me what to do, is our culture. And yet, if we're going to be honoring to the Lord and to glorify him, then we have to change our ways. We have to. And we have to think differently. And this is what it means to be a Bible believer. We have to believe what it says. And I will tell you, this has happened in my life, when I abandon my way of thinking in the course of this world and I adopt God's way of thinking and God's course, it is so much better. It is so much better. Every single time, it is so much better. And so this is also seen in Revelation 4.11 where it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So God is the Creator, created everything, and it's for His honor, for His glory, for His pleasure, not ours. Our honor, our glory, our pleasure is always temporary, it's always fleeting, it never lasts, and it never fulfills. And when we live in the purpose and the will of God, according to how he has designed us, what he wants us to do, it is always something that is so fulfilling. So why should you seek the will of God for your life? It's because he is the creator. And this alone should be convincing enough. That within itself, like we should be able to leave here and then obey that, and then we would all be better Christians as a result. So the, what's the second one? Well, it's the fact that God is the redeemer. God is the redeemer. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So he is the creator, and he is the redeemer. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 
1 Peter chapter 1 and take a look at verse 18. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, that's religion, by the way, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We are born again. The moment that we trust Christ as our Savior, we have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. He is the Redeemer. So not only did He create your life, but He is the Redeemer of your life. So He created you with a purpose. That alone should be enough. But more than that, God then died for you. He redeemed you. And as a result, then we should live the rest of our time in this flesh, to his will. 1 Corinthians 6, these, this passage is near and dear to my heart. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Just the fact that he created us, we belong to him, period. But moreover than that, when he shed his blood for you and you have received him as your savior, you are not your own. This flies in the face of our culture. It totally flies in the face of our culture. We think it's our life, our time, our body. We get to do whatever we want. In a sense, yeah, you have the free will to do whatever you want. But if you are God's, you are not your own. You're not your own. This, this thought has been resonating in my mind and my heart extra over the last like four weeks. Last weekend, when I was preaching at the singles retreat, I mean, this was a huge point. This was a huge point in my heart, and I knew it had to be for them, and even in me, in my own life. When it comes scripturally speaking, my body belongs to God first. My body, everything, my, my body, my soul, my, it belongs to God first. And then, secondly, to my wife. To me, none. Like, it doesn't belong to me. When we start to think this way, it changes how we, we think of everything. It changes the decisions that we're making because now we look at it from, oh my goodness, well then what does God want me to do? How does He want me to spend my time? How does He want me to do things with my body? How... And then when it comes to certain things that defile my body, I should be staying away from those things because this vessel, it belongs to the Lord. It changes everything about how you think. And so this was our, our, our purpose from the very, very beginning. And so when we trust Christ as our Savior, it begins to restore that created purpose that he had inside of us. And now we can walk in God's will. But oftentimes as, as Christians, we can, we can know that, but then we get into our, our daily routines of life and then we just go back to the old ways. We somehow forget that he bought us and that he purchased us and that we're no longer our own. So no decision or no thought can be made apart from him. That's the reality of what it really means to be a Christian. What we see out in our world today, as far as Christianity, not even close to that. It's terrible. I feel like a lot of what's out there now is just very fleshly, very carnal, very sensual. 
Which, by the way, is devilish, the Scriptures say. When it comes to the Lord, it's much, much different. We're bought. We're different. We belong to Him. I, I think of this verse. This was a verse that I, I taught several years ago in the youth, but Philippians 1.21, a lot of people know this. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And a lot of people focus on that last half. To die is gain. Well, I know when I die that I at least gain. What about the first part? For me to live is Christ. So my life should be, should be modeling the same things that Christ would be doing. The way that I think should be the same way that Christ thinks. The, the way that I behave is the same way that Christ behaves. For me to live is Christ. We're all going to die one day and we're going to gain. But for now, we're alive. And so for us to live is Christ. And that's why we need to be daily in the Word. And we need to be daily walking with God because it is not possible without being submissive to God and to, and to His Word. It's just not, not possible. But God is the Creator, and then He is your Redeemer, that we are bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That we should have the same thought of Paul, that for me to live is Christ, we should have the same thought of Paul, what he said in Acts 20, where it says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. You can't finish God's given course for you unless you are willing to say, I can't count my life dear unto me. My life is dear unto Him. And so as far as I'm concerned, I shouldn't be making decisions apart from Him about my life. It's very difficult for us to switch gears and to think, think like that. But if we're going to be disciples of Christ, we have to do that. So He's our Creator. He's our Redeemer. Thirdly, God is the Father. He is the Father. When you become born again, His Spirit moves inside of you. And as a result, we are now adopted into the family of God. Galatians 4, 6 puts it this way. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now this phrase, Abba, Father, is found only in three places in Scripture. One is in Galatians, one is in Romans, chapter 8, and the other one is by the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. And when Jesus was praying to his Father, he cried this, Abba, Father, there was a level of intimacy that Christ had with God the Father because of their relationship. And when you become born again, you can have the exact same level of intimacy as Christ had with God the Father. That is astounding. Most of us don't think about that. We don't think that that level is even possible. It is. And it is a daily reality if you're willing to actually believe it and approach God on those terms. He has given us of His Spirit the moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior, that you came to that place where you're like, I'm a sinner, and I know that without God that I wouldn't make it. And then you are obedient to Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you pray that prayer of faith and you trust God and say, God, I can't make it without you. In that moment, the Spirit of God moves inside of your body and now makes you alive. And now you have this ability as the Son of God the Son of God. We are now children that belong to God to approach Him at any point in time with a level of intimacy that when you say Father, it's not like, Dear Heavenly Father. No, it's, it's way more. It's way deeper than that. That your Father, I need you. When my kids cry out for me, I mean, I would be dead inside if I didn't want to respond to them. 
if my kid needs me, if there's something that's going on, especially if, if there's something that's like really tearing at their heart, and they come to me, and they're like, I'm just having a bad day. I'm having a hard time. I don't know what to do. That inside of me is I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's just shove everything aside. <laughs> Let's shove everyone aside, and it's just me and you now. That's what the Lord desires, and that's what we can have with Him. And so our life is not our own, and He is our Father. And as a Father, He has plans and purposes. When I think of my kids, each child is so unique, and they're so different, and they're each designed very differently. Now, overall, my will for them is the same. I mean, even last night, you know, it's Lily's birthday yesterday. She turned 14. Am I ready for that? Never. I wasn't ready for 13, but I'm glad we're past the year of rebellion. But anyway, so, but I know, it just gets worse. Um, <laughs> it's the introduction to the rebellion. Anyway, so, but the thing, the thing about it is, is that even yesterday, we were over at my parents' house, and we were celebrating her birthday, and my dad asked me to pray, and when I'm praying, I'm thinking about my daughter. And I, and whenever, sorry, I, I cry. <laughs> Whenever I think about my, my daughter, I always think back to the first time I held her. Freaked me out. Megan tried to reassure me, you're not going to break her. <laughs> but I just remember holding her, and I remember just looking at her, and I remember praying and talking to God about her, and the honor and the privilege it is to be a father, and I'm thinking, this is a huge responsibility. Like that, when that moment unfolds, it's such a big responsibility. But my will for her is the same with all my other kids. I want Lily to be a godly young woman. I want her to honor the Lord. I want her to be able to find a godly husband. I want her to be able to spend the majority of her days walking in the will of God. I want her to be able to, at the end of her life, done better than what I've done. Like there's so many things in general. And I could, I could pray that about all my kids, all of my kids. But I know that Lily is designed very unique and different than Lucas, different from Lucy. And so how that plan actually works out is going to be very different and very unique. But overall, if they're walking according to my will, which, by the way, should be God's will, if I'm walking with the Lord, then they'll be able to figure out what they're supposed to do. And one can't do what the other's going to do. And the third one can't do what the second one's going to do. It's going to be very, very different. But how that unfolds in their life is the exact same way for us. God has an overarching will, and if you are willing to walk in His will, then He can begin to direct you down the specific plan that He has for your life. Because He is a loving Father, and He doesn't make mistakes. And He created us, and then He redeemed us, and He wants us to have a life that is full and joyful. And there's going to be pain in life for sure, but sometimes we have to go through that pain just because it's life. And there are valuable lessons to be learned in all of that. And then the fourth thing that we need to consider is that God is the judge. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He is the father. But he also is the judge. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. 
Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The heart of every believer is like this. It doesn't matter if we're with him or not, we want to be accepted. There's a deep longing inside of us to be accepted by our Father. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. There is coming a day for all of us as born-again believers that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this. It talks about the culmination of our life is going to be made up of six different materials. Either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And on that day, when we stand before our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our God, and we will stand before Him our whole life, after the moment that you've been saved and you become born again, your life, there's going to be a visual representation of your life. And it's not going to be for the sins that you've done. That has been judged at the cross already. The judgment seat of Christ is the overall stewardship of how you spent your redeemed life. That God gave you a life, a new life, new purpose, with with all the things that he has for you according to his will. How did you live that life? And the motives of your heart are going to be reflected in all the different materials. Wood, hay, and stubble, they're going to burn. The gold, silver, and precious stones, they will remain. Because when his eyes as a flame of fire go through your your stack, your life, whatever remains is going to be your reward that then you can cast back at the feet of Jesus Christ. And the fact that, that our life will have to give an account should cause us to think differently. I remember the first couple times that I studied this, and it struck fear in my heart. It struck fear in me because I knew that there were things that I wasn't doing that I ought to do. I knew there were things that I needed to improve and I needed to grow in and that I needed to mature in. But just the fact that God gave me life, it means that there must come a day where it is brought into account. And this is for saved and lost people. Lost people because just the simple fact that they exist on this planet, their life must be brought into account. Now theirs is going to be different. It's going to be at the great white throne judgment among others that will be judged at that place. But no matter what, God is the judge. And because all judgment is given by Jesus Christ, we have a great opportunity now as we believe the scriptures to repent and to change things, to be submissive to God, to change the outcome. God has been good to us as a loving father to give us everything that we need in his word in order for us to comply with what he desires for us. And when we do that, then our life can show for something that will honor and glorify him. And the sad part is, and what many of us, we just get stuck in our routines, is that we should be doing everything in our ability to be ready for our judgment because it's coming sooner than what we realize. Time is flying by so fast. I I already said it. Lily's 14. What happened? (laughs) And then everybody says it will just get worse. I believe you because I remember back when she was born and then you said, well, just wait. You know, soon she's going to be. And I'm like, okay, all right. But I didn't think, because the baby phase just lasts a long time. But here we are, 14 years later, and I'm like, no, I don't don't want this. She's going to be graduating from high school in like four years, and gosh, I'm not ready for that. So time goes by so fast, and so take advantage of the opportunity to really examine your life and to examine all the things that that you're doing with with who you are and what you're going to do according to the will of God. This is the perfect time to take inventory. 
and to really spend some good quality time in order to figure out, okay, God, I need to change this. I need to stop pursuing this. I need to honor you here. Whatever that is, pay attention. So that is the overarching thing. So why should you do it? Well, those four things. You should seek the will of God because he's the creator, he is the redeemer, he is the father, and he is the judge, and our life will be brought into account. The next thing that we need to cover is that God's will can be direct or permissive. And there's a lot of misunderstandings about this among Christians and the lost world, and so this is a great time to consider this. So God's will can either be direct or permissive. Now, direct means that these are things that God decrees, the different decrees of God. These are things that cannot be thwarted or changed by anyone or anything, no matter what. His direct will cannot be stopped. How it is going to be fulfilled will vary, but it will be done. It will absolutely be done. And there's so many scriptures, but I'll give you a couple examples. One is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. That's just hard to do. And we need to practice that. Be still and know that I am God. And notice after that there's a colon, because God's trying to expand on that thought. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So, be still and know that I am God. This is a truth. It is not a reality in our world today. But when we read scriptures like this, and we see this is a direct command of God, this is a direct decree of God, I will be exalted among the heathen. And there is coming a day where he will be exalted among the heathen. Whether they want to or not, he will be exalted. And he will be exalted in this earth. He is not today, but he will. He will. That is an example of God's direct will. Another one is Jeremiah 3.17. It says, At that time they shall, call, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In our world today, it's the exact opposite. But there's coming a day that that will be the case. And it doesn't matter what anyone does, what anyone says, what anyone plans to do, this will happen. There are many passages of Scripture that are just like this. That is the direct will of God. Now, the permissive will of God are God's allowances, things that He allows, things that He permits. And these things that He allows or permits, these are things that He may or may not want to happen. And so this is where the free will of man operates. And there are so many things that we could we can make a list just happening even in any given moment that's not the direct will of God. I mean, take, for example, sin. You think God wills sin into existence? You think he really desires for that to happen? Absolutely not, but it exists. And so he allowed it and he permitted it. Rebellion, why would he want that? Cancer, war, death. I mean, we could make an innumerable list of things like this that he doesn't want to exist, but he allows it to happen. And I think about this with Ezekiel 28, verse 15. This is talking about Lucifer in his rebellion. Thou was perfect. Lucifer was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. It is not God's will for Lucifer to fall into sin. It never was. Never. And yet it occurred. And he allowed it to happen. And there's a reason behind it. And there's things he's going to accomplish in and through it. 
But you may not be able to see that very clearly. And these things happen all the time. All the time. Or, I like this verse, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Many people think that. He's not slack. He hasn't forgotten. He's promised things, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, God's desire is that he wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. He wants every single person to have his righteousness and to be with him for all eternity. But is that going to happen? No. It's not. But he wills it. This is the permissive will of God. Things that he allows. And this is where Calvinism gets way off track. Because could God have changed it? Could he have actually just forced people and everyone to make a decision to trust him? Could he have done that? Absolutely. But why didn't he? I mean, think about it in terms of just the concept of love. On the day that I asked my wife to marry me, I asked a question. There could have been two answers. <laughs> yes or no. I didn't hold her at gunpoint and say, you better say yes. That's terrible. Great way to start a marriage. <laughs> no, I wanted her out of her own free will to say yes to me. I wanted her to love me just because she wanted to love me. Just like I chose to love her, not because of what she can add to my life, because of who she is. That's what it's supposed to be. That comes from God. And so in the same way, God didn't make it that way. He didn't, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to force people to believe because that completely robs of that, that, that beauty and that, the whole idea of, of what it means to have this relationship with God. But it doesn't stop God from being willing. He wants everyone to have that. He wants everyone to come to repentance. There's so many people that place blame on God for all these types of things, but God is not the cause, or nor is he the one responsible. But there is something very interesting. If you're willing to be obedient to what James 1 says, where it says when it comes to these trials and tribulations that you let patience have her perfect work, what you find in this permissive will of God, especially in negative things that God allows in your life, that even in these things that he permits and allows, he will be glorified. One of the greatest examples of this, I shared the story before, but one of the greatest examples of this in my life was my cousin Brian. He died of cancer after he was diagnosed with it. And he was diagnosed when he was 17 years old. He had a rare form of cancer. He was living like the devil. He was a heathen. He wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing. And he was living his life, partying, drinking, doing all sorts of stuff. And there came a day where he wanted to enlist in the Navy. And so as a result, he had to have a physical done. Well, during the course of the physical, they found something on his back. And then he went and had the biopsy done, and they came back and said, you've got cancer, and you've got one year to live. And it was a very rare form of cancer. He, would be, he was the oldest patient to get this form of cancer. Typically, it was found in kids under the age of 14. And here he is as a 17-year-old diagnosed with this. Well, I tell you, that rocked his world. And he had every reason to be mad at God. Every reason. And there's no doubt that he probably struggled with it. But you know what he did? He went to my dad. And he sat down with my dad. And he said, what do I need to do to be right with the Lord? I know my day's coming and I've got to be right with Which means he knew, deep down, he knew that he needed to be right with the Lord. And then something like this unfolded. And God gave him 10 years. Even though he was only given one, God gave him 10 
In those 10 years that he spent for the Lord, he routinely gave his testimony. And one of the things that he said is that cancer saved my life. I think about him all the time. Because as a little kid, that was one of the very first traumatic things that I went through. And I didn't know how to feel. Or, and I remember being at his funeral, and it was just weird. And I, remember, I just remember him, and it was just it was very fundamental in my life. So I think about him all the time. There are people that walk around angry and furious with God. And the fact is, it's not God's fault. It never was. It's their fault for not seeking God through it and in it. Because he has things that he wants to teach and to guide and to invest. And so even in the midst of the nightmare, there is gold to be found. But it can't be found if you're so fixated on it and then you being angry at God, you're going to miss the whole thing. And so our attitude is always our choice. And we may not like it, but we know God and we know his heart towards us because of what the scriptures say. And so that gold can be found. Those nuggets of wisdom that can't be found any other way. So that is the permissive will of God. There are things that he doesn't necessarily want to occur or, or things that he just allows to occur, but though all those things will glorify the Lord. And so then on the back half of your guys' study sheet, we need to hit this. Now again, you're looking at these scriptures and you're like, oh my word, there's no way. You're absolutely right. There is no way that we're going to be able to get through that. So I'm not going to even try. But there's tons here for you in order to really study this out. So I'm just going to work through some of these things bit by bit. God's will is directed through various ways. Various ways. And there are several things that are, that are major ones. There's three really big ones. And that is his ordained authorities. His ordained authorities consist of the Lord Jesus Christ, the family, and human government. God has specifically set up these three things to guard and to guide our life. Now, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he modeled this way and this behavior for us. Some of the references I have on your study sheet already that we don't have time to look up. He said very specifically that he came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father that sent him. These verses are astounding to me. Because if there was anybody that could live self-willed and actually do it right, it would have been Jesus. And yet, he chose to abandon his will, his perfect will, Think about that for a second. And he adopted the Father's will to replace his. Now, they were one and the same, but what God is teaching us is a very important principle. If Jesus Christ had to forego his will to fulfill God's will for his life, then we do too. We do too. And he set that pattern for us. And he is that authority that is in our life. Now, he modeled it for us. And he is the authority that we submit to. But when he left this earth, he replaced himself with three things. And I included all those references that prove all these things out in that little chart there between the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so when Christ left the earth, he replaced himself with the way, which is the local church, the truth, which is the word of God, and the life, which is the spirit of God. Now, what's interesting about these three things is that when you take some time to really meditate on this and you think about this, when we are unsubmissive to the Spirit of God, the Scriptures of God, 
and the biblical local church, you cannot be right with God. You're going to have to really think about this. Because if Jesus, in fact, replaced himself with those three things, if something's off and you're not submissive to the Spirit of God as he's trying to lead and guide you, and if you're not being submissive to the Word of God as it states in black and white, and if you're not being submissive to a biblical local church, and there's a reason why I say biblical, because this has been abused by so many churches and religious institutions, it's not even funny. We could spend the entire night talking about that nonsense that's occurred throughout human history. It's the reason why many people don't even want to step foot in a church today. It's become the, of, of the abuses of mankind when it comes to the institution of churches. So when you are not submissive to a biblical local church, you cannot be right with God. You can't be right with God. And that's important. You're going to have to spend some time really thinking about that. But God's will is directed through these ordained authorities, beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then after he left with the local church, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. The second thing that he has given in the ordained authorities is the family. Is The family, the family unit is deeply spiritually connected to God. Deeply. One of the greatest examples is found in Ephesians 5, which I think I have that one. There we go. In talking about the husband and the wife, and then in chapter 6, he's talking about kids and the family and how that works, and he's talking about other things. He puts in here in Ephesians 5, 32 and 33, that this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Throughout chapter 5, he goes back and forth talking about the husband, talking about the wife, talking about Christ, talking about the church. And he does it so much that you can literally interchange any of those terms at any point in time in chapter 5. And what God is demonstrating through Ephesians 5 is that when it comes to the family, especially the relationship between the husband and the wife, because that is where it all begins. Everything unfolds either properly or improperly from the head of the home, and that is with the husband and the wife. This family unit is so deeply and spiritually connected with the Lord, it is among the most powerful living testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's heart for the whole world. When you have a biblical marriage and your family is operating under the will of God, every single person that comes in contact with your family can see, meet, feel, and know Jesus Christ. It is incredible. And it's no wonder why it's one of the main institutions that's under attack across the board. And that many folks in our culture don't even want to get married anymore. And they think that it's always oh, just something that some people have made up or whatever or for the church to have more control over the family. They don't understand. This is, this is deep. This is important. It is one vehicle through which this world can see our Savior. And it needs to be handled with care. Not only that, but when the family is operating under the will of God, every member of the family can have confidence that God will direct them individually into His plans and purposes. This is so important as well. Husbands and wives need to be walking in submission with the Lord. And as they do that, they will be giving proper guidance and wisdom to their children, directly and indirectly. It will happen as the kids watch, because kids are always watching. And they watch how the husband and the wife are treating one another. 
And you're setting a model and they're seeing, they're learning spiritual things as they're watching their mom and dad and how they are and how they love, how they interact, how they deal with conflict, how they work through problems. And they're seeing, they should be seeing the Word of God working out between them without ever uttering a word about the Bible. That's how kids start to see this. This is so, so important. We can have an entire series just talking about that fact alone. So God's will is directed in and through the family when they're in submission to the will of God. Human government. Now government, and we know this, it's deeply ingrained in us, it was never intended to be abusive toward their people. Never. In Romans 13.1, God says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now this can be hard because we can look at governments and be like, well, that has nothing to do with God and the way they're treating their people and all that. And we're going to get into more details. We get into the different wills of God because this is a big one. This is one we're going to work through. But God ordained human government to be an instrument to carry out his will concerning good and evil. Every government office holder will be held accountable for their stewardship of this ordination. And the same can be said for other authorities as well, but this is important. And I, I, I believe that if a government official actually was sober in their mind and they were biblically clear, they would not be making the decisions that they're making today. Things would unfold very differently, very differently. And each and every one is going to be held in account for that because there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And that is a stewardship that is given directly to them. And so God's will is directed through that. And our lives are directed through that, just from that simple fact alone. Again, we're going to talk about that more in future weeks, but that's very important to understand. And then there are other authorities. Other authorities. This could be employees with employers, teachers, students, police, military. There's so many. But each one of these authority figures, they have a stewardship of how God, uh, stewardship from God, and they will be held accountable on how they manage that power and that authority. Each one is going to be held responsible. Ephesians and Colossians talks all about that. And it talks about how they were supposed to work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And that we're going to receive a reward on that. So these things are important to understand. They are absolutely important to understand. So God directs through his God-ordained authorities. But then he also directs through godly counsel. Godly counsel. This is seeking advice or counsel from others that have experience on how to apply biblical truths in real-life scenarios. And these are extremely valuable. And God will and He can use these people to help direct the course of your life. And the Bible talks about that you need a multitude of counselors. And there's other things like that. So godly counsel is very, very important in directing you in the will of God. God can direct you through circumstances and conflicts. There are some things in our life that are completely and totally out of our control totally out of our control. And the hard part about these things is they can cause us great stress and anxiety because they're testing our faith. And so the value in this one, and it's hard to learn, is that learning how to have a submissive heart toward the Lord is so important in these circumstances because it changes you from the inside. It changes you on the outside. And it comes down to your heart attitude. And it's hard for us to learn the fact that our situation should never dictate our faithfulness to God. There are so many people that are weak and immature that they let their circumstances dictate how faithful or not they're going to be to the Lord. And it shouldn't ought to be, it ought to be that way. 
So circumstances and conflicts. God can use those things to guide and direct us in different, in different ways. And then lastly, walking daily with God. Walking daily with God. This is the still, quiet, intimate moments with the Lord. And he most certainly leads and guides us through it. And there's a great verse. I love this verse. Psalm 34, 23 and 24. This gives such an accurate reflection of this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Someone who decides, they're like, you know what, I want to honor the Lord, I want to do what God wants me to do, and I'm going to stick with him through thick and thin. Though you fall, you're not going to be utterly cast down. There's something else that's going on here. There's so many times I remember just being in the multitude of my own thoughts because any one of us, we can be overwhelmed and we can have certain pieces of anxiety or circumstances that we're in and there can be all sorts of things. But there are moments that in the midst of all these thoughts, these intrusive thoughts that might come in at any point in time, that God in his word, as I'm spending time with him, I'm praying to him, that he just pierces right through it, right through all the confusion and the mess that's in my mind. And he makes things very clear. And he makes things very, very confident. Like, that's the direction that you want me to go. And these happen in those still, small moments. We are so exercised to be go, 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 go all the time. And it's good for us to be still. And just to take time. And just to stop. And talk to God. I find great comfort that when I'm worked up over something or I'm concerned about something or I don't know what to do, that as a father, I'm like, God, this is how I feel. This is what's going on inside of me. And I'm not really sure what to do. I think maybe this, maybe that's not the right way. I, I, I'm not really sure. Just please, would you guide me and direct me? I don't want to do anything without you. I'm thinking this way, but if this is not what you want me to, just change it. Do something. But I don't, I don't ever want to go anywhere without you. When we live that kind of life, it's no longer the type of Christianity where it's like, all right, I've made this decision. God, help me clean up my mess, and can you help this whole thing just be blessed? You can't, like, that's not how it works. It's like, okay, God, this is what I'm thinking, but what do you want me to do? It's like, it's like Christ in the garden. You know, when he was praying, and it was a great display of his humanity, he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to. And he was praying and he was saying, God, I don't want to go. Like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, if possible, like, could you just take this cup from me? Could you just somehow, some way, could you just take this? And then the key word, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Those moments of intimacy with God and that, that struggle that we have with Him, God meets you there. He's with you there. So many people treat God like He's afar off and He's not close by. No, He is with you in those moments. If He is your Father, if you are born again, if you have the Spirit of God inside of you, He is very near, nearer than what you understand. And those moments where I'm struggling and I call out to Him, I need that. It's what I've always needed. Sometimes I'm thinking too much. Sometimes I'm processing too much. Sometimes I'm analyzing too much. And what I really needed to do all along is just to be still and just to talk with him and to pour out my heart to him and say, I need you to guide me.
And Lord, if it means that I have to wait for you, it's so much better to wait for you and to not even move forward than to move forward without you. And so this will of God is very, very important. Far too many Christians are making decisions and they're doing things in their life and they're not even considering any of these things that are on your two pages. They're like, well, I think this is what God wants me to do, and then they just go for it. Well, God, I got in this mess again, and this is what I thought you wanted me to do. Well, no, you never even came to talk to me to begin with. I'll give you a great example of this one. Lucas. Such a great illustration. So I came home one day, and Megan was saying, hey, did you see the hole in his bed sheet? And I said, yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Megan's like, well, he was messing around with super glue, and he got super glue on the bed sheet. And rather than coming and talk to me about it, he decided, I'm going to take care of it myself. So he went and he got the scissors. And he just cut it right out. And so there's a giant gaping hole in his bed sheet. And we're like, what are you thinking? Well, I, it was, it was, I didn't want it to be ruined. <laughs> what, what do you think you did? And even in those little lessons just like that, we are so like that with the Lord. And we just mess around and we mess things up and we're like, hmm, I wonder what I should do. Rather than going to the one that has all the answers, what do I got in front of me? Well, I got scissors. So let's just cut it out. They're like, no! <laughs> but God lets us make those mistakes like that in our life in order for us to understand, no, that's not what I want. Just come to me. Just be with me. Just spend time with me. I will give you wisdom. I will guide you. I will tell you exactly what to do. You just need to come to me and you need to hear me and not think that you heard me. You actually have to hear me. So many illustrations on that one when it comes to kids. There's so many. But that's what the Lord wants. And so this is what we need to accomplish in our hearts. If we're going to move forward and we're going to be able to learn the will of God for my life on to be repentant, to be sanctified, to not be conformed to this world, to obey the authorities in my life, to live a life of thankfulness, to have a right heart attitude, and to not waste time, it begins here. And it begins inside of our heart towards the Lord. And so here's my challenge. Next week we're going to be diving into to be repentant. But I want you to take some personal inventory this week. How close are you with the Lord? How dependent are you on the Lord. And be honest about it. Are you someone that you just start making decisions and making plans and you never talk to him? Because he needs to be involved in everything that we do. There should be nothing that we do without him. Our life is not ours. Our body, it does not belong to us. It belongs to him. We need to give him the due respect that he deserves. We need to be considerate of our Creator, our Redeemer, our Father, and our Judge. And we need to let those things have their way inside of us. Because our life is not our own. So take some time this weekend to really, where are you at? And take some personal inventory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is very, very clear. And I pray, God, that we would take heed to the things that you've told us. Our life isn't ours. It belongs to you. It always has, and it always will. And so, Father, I pray that we would consider those things deeply inside of us, and it would change who we are. It will change the things that we think, that we say, that we do. 
Not because we want to be good Christians, but because we want to honor You. We want to glorify You. And so, Lord, help us. Because this means if we live this way, we're going to be very different from the rest of the world. And we're not going to fit even more. But it means that we're going to be able to honor You. And at the end of our life, it will be worth it all. There's so many things that we see, like Your Word says, through a glass darkly. But there's coming a day where it will be very, very clear. Give us that understanding. Give us that vision and help us to be obedient. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.